We're continuing this morning our uh, January series here at the beginning of the year called Profiles in Spiritual Growth. Uh, We started it last week. We looked at a very famous character uh, last week in the Bible, Moses. And uh, I know a lot of you weren't able to be here, so if I could encourage you to go back and listen to that one, I would encourage you to do it. Go back and listen or watch. Um, Moses has a lot to teach us. The main thing we learned last week was in order to grow, you have to have a movement from wanting God for his blessings and just wanting God and desiring and hungering for God. Moses said, God, I want you to be with me. Show me your glory. Don't just give me your stuff. Uh, Well, this morning we're going to look at a lesser-known character named Ezra. Uh, You may not know who he is, but uh, through the sermon I'm going to try to put some of those puzzle pieces together for you if you don't know. Uh, There's certainly way more than we can say in one sermon, but I want to focus on a particular way that Ezra committed to growth in his life. All right? Uh, In chapter 7, I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. If you have a Bible, you can take a look. If not, it's printed in the bulletin. Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Miraoth, son of Zerahiah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishua, Son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra, very specific, right? This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, Some of the people of Israel and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers, and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, January 1 in our calendar, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. For the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. This is God's word. So we learn a little bit about Ezra here, but let's first think a little bit about spiritual growth and see, we'll kind of, kind of try to combine the two. Uh, one of my New Year's resolutions this year, personally, uh, is a little bit of an unusual one. Uh, Y'all can be praying about it. I want to plant a garden at my house this year. That's one of my New Year's resolutions, to plant a garden. And it's going to be like edible stuff, not just flowers and shrubbery, but edible things, you know, vegetables. And so I've got a place in the back corner of my yard that's got irrigation, and I'm going to, Lord willing, you know, till the ground and plant some seeds, some stuff that we can eat throughout the year. Stacy's with me on this. Now, I say pray for me because I'm not a very green thumb. In my past, I don't have a good track record with these things, Um, but I do know at least this, all right? For something to grow, you have to have a few basic necessities. You can't go without them. Uh, What are they? You got to have seeds, right? Yep, obviously, you got to have seeds. 
I didn't even think about that one, but you got to have that one. You definitely have to have that one. You got to have soil, and the soil's got to be a certain, you know, health, right? You got to have water. You can't go without water. Sometimes more, sometimes less, and you got to have sunlight. Yeah, he says water, 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 which, yeah, that, that, if all else fails, water, 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 right? But you really need soil, water, sunlight, more or less, depending on what you're growing, but you got to have those three. You're probably not going to grow anything if you're missing one of those things. And I began to think this week as I was kind of thinking about my plan for the garden in the backyard, is spiritual life like that? Are there some necessities, some things that you just can't not do and still grow? Uh, last week with Moses, like we just said, we saw there's something in the heart that's got to change. You've got to go to somebody who wants God. But are there some things you've got to do or add into your life like an ingredient that would help that heart to kind of flame up and become focused on the Lord's presence? And I think there is. I think Ezra shows us that there is. You probably notice verse 10. Uh, Ezra was a man who set his heart on what? The Bible. He set his heart on the Bible, on the scriptures, on God's word, and he studied it, he wanted to do it, and he wanted to share it with other people. And that was one of the things that caused not only Ezra to grow, but the whole nation to grow. You see, Ezra was a priest uh, there in verses 1 through 4. I, I named a bunch of names. I probably didn't pronounce them right, but I tried. Just to show that Ezra was a descendant of Aaron, the great priest, you know, Moses' brother. And yet, in Ezra's, in Ezra's life situation, he was far away most of his life from Jerusalem. He was far away from the temple. In fact, for a lot of Ezra's life, there was no temple. Because Ezra lived during the exile, when the temple had been destroyed because of Israel's sin. And after even the temple had been rebuilt, God still saw that there was something missing in the spiritual life of Israel. Even though they had a temple, there was something missing. The Word of God. And a clear understanding of the word. And so he prepared this man, Ezra. All those years, even while he was far away from Jerusalem, he prepared Ezra by giving Ezra a desire to study Scripture so that Ezra could go back to Jerusalem and teach the people and organize a way for other people to teach the people what God had said in Scripture. The same thing is true of us this morning. You got It's like soil, sun, and water. You cannot grow as a Christian unless you have a deep and abiding relationship with God's Word. Uh, if you look in your bulletin, there's just two things I want to talk to you about today. First of all, we see from verse 10 that our response to God's Word is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. Secondly, we see it's also a practice in the life. It's a matter of the heart and a practice in the life. All right, let me talk to you about those two things. First of all, it's a matter of the heart. Let me ask you this. If you're talking to someone you love and care about, and you realize in the middle of talking they're not listening, like they don't, they clearly haven't been tracking because you ask them a question and they're like, huh? Or you see them look down at their phone and they're going to town, uh, or they're flipping the remote, you know, the, the channel on the remote. In the middle of you talking, how do you feel? If the person does that habitually, not just one time, but many times, how does that make you feel? If they do it so habitually that it's almost constant, 
what conclusions might your heart draw without even thinking about that person? It's not that hard, right? I mean, it's something that we don't even have to think about. It's like a knee-jerk reaction. When that happens over and over again, we assume this person just doesn't care about me. In the moment, they clearly don't care about what I'm saying. And if they do it so much, so habitually over time, I conclude this person might not even love me at all. Why do we take it so personally? Because we know something very clearly, don't we? The words that we say express the heart. And when someone is not attentive to our heart, with their heart, it's really hard to draw the conclusion that they care about our heart. And y'all, I want to tell you, that is the way God thinks about his own word too. That's the way he thinks. God gave us his word. Ezra knew this. He came to understand this. That's why he set his heart on God's word. God gave us his word so that his heart could be communicated to our heart and our heart could be then returned back to him. Isn't that amazing? I mean, look at what it says about Ezra there. Uh, it's really, there's so much packed in that one phrase. Ezra had set his heart to study the law of God. Ezra had set his heart. I mean, it says he had set it, meaning it, it's in the perfect tense. Uh, perfect tense of a verb means that it's already been done in the past, but it's been done so completely it has an ongoing effect in the present and into the future. He had said it. Uh, basically, it's telling us Ezra's testimony. His testimony. At some point in his life when he was in Babylon, way away from Jerusalem, he had, he had made the decision within his heart he was going to commit to the Scriptures. He was going to give himself over to God's Word. Uh, that's why it calls him in the passage a scribe. A scribe was an Old Testament word for scholar. But he wasn't just any scholar. He was a scholar about one thing. That's, that's Jonathan Masters' quote at the beginning of the service. Uh, Ezra treated everything else in his life from that day on as if it were just excess baggage. Just a whole bunch of excess baggage. The one thing that Ezra zeroed in on is, God, teach me what you have said to me so that I can learn it. Not only that, but it says he had set his heart on it. His heart. In Hebrew, the word heart is bigger than the English word heart. Uh, when I say heart, or when I, if I draw a heart and gave it to you, what would you think? Love, emotion, right? Feeling. You know, in English, English we, the word heart means emotions, feelings, the seat of, the, of what you feel. But in Hebrew, it's not less than that, but it's a lot more than that. It, when the Bible describes heart, it describes the central like, command center of the whole person. It's not just what you feel, it's what you think, as well as what you feel, and it's what you choose and want, as well as what you think and feel. It's like everything that drives you. The Bible makes this statement in Proverbs, guard your heart above everything else because out of your heart flows everything you do. That's what it means. Everything you do flows from your heart, meaning your heart is so much more than just what you feel. It is what you feel, but it's everything else about you. It's what makes you tick. Ezra had decided that everything that makes him tick was going to be shaped by the words that God had spoken. Now, why did Ezra put so much attention on the Scriptures? Or at least what he had of the Scriptures at that point. He had the Old Testament. That's what he had. He set his heart to it. Why did he do that? Because he understood something about the Bible that you and I need to understand. 
if we're going to grow. Consider this. Consider what the Bible says about itself. Both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, God's people have a love affair with the Bible. A love affair with it. There's no secret why Jewish people and Christians have been called over, over history a people of the book. A people of the book. Our faith is a bookish faith. And we shouldn't apologize for that because God gave us a book. And in order to know God, you got to go to him through a book. And he comes to us often through a book. It says in the New Testament, this is one of my favorite descriptions of the Bible. Uh, in 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says to, to Timothy, All scripture is God-breathed. Or, or all scripture is breathed out by God. Think about that picture. I mean, if you're talking to someone and you can feel their breath... Hopefully, you can't feel my breath right now. Hopefully, I'm not close enough to you, right? If you're close enough to someone to feel their breath, how close are they? If that person is not close to you, do you want them that close? At least in, you know, American culture, that's not considered a very polite thing, right? Some cultures, there's more of a closeness like that, with, even with strangers. But in our culture, like, hey, you want to back up. If you feel their breath, you're doing this while you're talking to them. Unless, unless, they are someone extraordinarily close or intimate with you. And then you welcome it. Isn't it cool that God, isn't it more than cool, amazing, that God describes his word as his breathed out word, as if God is so close that you can feel his breath on your cheek, on your neck as you read the scripture. When you open this book, you are not, this is the conviction of the Bible about itself. You are not just opening an archaeological artifact, a record of like a bygone history or even some people would even say a collection of myths that aren't even real, but they're inspiring. This is more than that. When you open the Bible, when someone reads it to you or explains it to you or you read it for yourself and come to understand it, you are feeling the breath of God. The mighty creator of heaven and earth has stooped all the way down to breathe on you. Ezra knew that. He had to have known that. If that's not true, actually Ezra wasted his life. Do you follow me there? If that's not really what the Bible is, then for Ezra to treat everything else as excess baggage except that, I mean, he was just nothing more than a bookworm. Which is not, not all that heroic to be a bookworm. <laughs> It's not all that great of a thing. I mean, it's, it's neither here nor there. It could be good or bad. But Ezra is a hero of the faith because he devoted himself to God's book. That's different. That's not just being a bookworm. That's being someone who says, God, I want to know you. Breathe on me, breath of God. Isn't that cool? This is also why the Bible says that whether you accept his word or reject it tells everything God needs to know about your heart. Everything God needs to go. Whether you accept it with eagerness and obedience and a humble heart or whether you neglect it or reject it outright, that shows God what he needs to know about your heart. In fact, if when we reject the word, I should say not if, but when, when we rebuff God's word either by neglecting it or rejecting it, we're actually living out the core sin of all sins. 
the snake in the Garden of Eden said to Eve before she sinned for the first time, has God actually said what you think he said? That's where sin started. With a question to to sow a seed of doubt about God's word. That's how important this thing is. It started all the chaos and the ruin and misery of this world just to simply say, are you sure that God really is speaking? Are you sure that he really talks to human beings? Are you sure you know what he said? This is also why Jesus says, if you don't listen to my word and build your life on it, you're a fool. That's some harsh words. Those are not my words. Those are the words of Jesus. If you don't listen and build your whole life, you don't do what Ezra did. And set your heart on it, then you are a fool. The difference between being in a relationship with God and being not in a relationship with God is the difference between receiving his word and not receiving his word. It tells God everything he needs to know about our hearts by how we respond to scripture. Also consider this. Consider how God usually works with his word. I mean, whose life has ever been changed by God? Who has ever grown spiritually without interacting seriously with the Bible? I dare you to show me somebody. You might say, well, I know some people who aren't Christians, who, who are other, of other religions, and they seem to be really in, you know, they seem to be really in connection with something spiritual. I grant you they may be in connection with something spiritual. But I'll guarantee you it ain't the one true living God. If they have not gotten it from Scripture. Because that's where he has spoken. That's where he has given himself over to us. Think about it. I mean, what kind of God would he be if his spirit gave his word and then his spirit says, no, you know, I'm going to work independent of and even against the word that I spent all those years giving? It wouldn't make no sense. You know, he, he would be a God of complete unpredictability, of complete unfaithfulness, if that's the way he, he dwelt with us and dealt with us. But no, the Bible says if someone's heart's going to be changed, it's going to be because they hear Scripture. Uh, let, let me read to you. Um, this is from our church's larger catechism. And again, I said I'm going to tell you what a catechism is. A catechism has nothing to do with a cat. Uh, a catechism is a word from Greek that means to teach. And a catechism is a time-tested teaching tool based on questions and answers that summarizes the teaching of the Bible. Listen to what the larger catechism says about the Bible. It says, The Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, an effectual means of enlightening, convincing, and humbling sinners, of driving them out of themselves and drawing them unto Christ, of conforming them into Christ's image, of subduing them to Christ's will, of strengthening them against temptations and corruptions, of building them up in grace and establishing their hearts in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. In other words, God does all his heavy lifting by using his word. Nearly everything that you can think about God doing in your life, he's going to do by using what he has breathed out upon the human race and collected in the scriptures. That's why it says later in the catechism, those who read the Bible better read them with a high and reverent esteem of them. They better seek God's help to understand them. 
They need a desire to know, believe, and obey God's will in them, to meditate on them, it says, to apply themselves to them, to deny themselves and pray as they read them. It says when we hear the word preached, we got to attend to it with diligence, preparation, and prayer. You ought to prepare to hear a sermon. you got to prepare to hear a sermon and pray up before you get in here so that you can meditate on it, confer of it, build it, you know, hide it up in your heart and bring forth the fruit of it in your life. God does his heavy lifting through his word. Ezra knew that. He set his heart on understanding scripture because he knew that. And so the question this morning is, have you set your heart on the Bible? Have you set your heart on the Bible? You say, well, I'm, I'm just not a reader. Well, I'm sorry that God decided to give a book. I, I'm, I mean, I, I don't know what else to say about that. You might not be a reader. You don't have to be a bookworm to be a Christian. But you've got to at least want, care about this book. Because it's God breathing. Breathing out his heart. So you've got to do something to try. And I'm going to hopefully give you some hints in a moment to help you try to do that in a practical way. In your life. So that's the second thing we want to go to is the practice of this. Uh, Ezra shows us it's a matter of the heart. He set his heart, but it's also a practice. Okay, consider this scenario. I come up to you and say, y'all, I've got this thing that I value so much. I value exercise and physical fitness more than anything else in the world. And then you say, okay, great. What gym do you belong to? And I say, oh, man, yeah, I don't really do gyms. Gyms, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't need gyms. I'm good without it. Oh, great. So you, you work out at home. Well, you know, I mean, I'm busy. I'm real busy. You know, I, can't, I haven't been able to squeeze it in much. You know, I, I worked out a couple times last year, but beyond that, you know, just, just don't really have the time. Oh, well, at least you, you run or walk, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, running's too fast. It wears me out. Walking's too slow. It bores me. So, you know, I don't, I don't really do that either. But, but I value exercise and physical fitness. I value it a lot. What, what are you thinking? This guy is full of it. Right? This guy, he's speaking hogwash. He says he values something, but clearly if his practice doesn't, doesn't demonstrate the value, then it's not really a value. He's delusional. Well, guess what? With Ezra, he didn't just set his heart. He showed it by setting his heart on three very specific practices related to the Bible. You can see them all there in verse 10. Three very specific things that he did. And it paints a, a picture, really. I, think, I, I called it this week in my own study a, an ecosystem of how the Bible works in a person's heart. You understand the ecosystem, you know, the rain falls and stuff gets produced and then that creates more rain that falls and it just becomes this continuous process of life. And here's the ecosystem of the Bible. He, he set his heart to study the law to try to get it into his understanding, what we would call the head. And then he, he tried to do the law, that is, he was, he was trying to actually practice it in his life. And then finally he set himself to teach it, to share it with other people, to apply it to his own personal calling in his life within the community. And that right there, I want to tell you, is like an ecosystem of the way that God's Word gets into practice into our lives. Those three things have to be there. It's a little bit like the soil, the water, and the sunshine. Those three things. A little bit like that. you got to have them. And you also have to have them in that order. 
The Bible doesn't say things at random, I don't think. And I don't think these things are randomly placed. I think they're, they're orderly things. Uh, listen to the way uh, one uh, commentator describes it. He says, Ezra here is a model in that what he, had, what he taught, he first lived, right? And what he lived, he had first made sure of in the Scriptures. Do you see that? There's a definite order. What he taught, he first lived, and what he lived, he made sure that he was finding and being taught by God in the breathed-out scriptures. And that order, can't, you can't really get it out of order. Uh, the person who tries to teach what he doesn't live doesn't have a whole lot of credibility. Now, none of us fully teach what we live, right? Because we're teaching the things of God, and we're sinners. I'm a sinner like y'all, very much like y'all in every way. Uh, however... If I completely do not live anything that I'm teaching, my credibility is shot. And it should be. It should be shot. Right? Now, if I live things that I haven't first searched the Bible to make sure it is what God wants me to live, then my whole life is also shot. Because I'm doing a whole bunch of random things that I think God is going to be pleased with, but I haven't even thought to ask him. Or to listen to what his answer is. And so the way the ecosystem works is the Bible first meets us in our understanding where we're, we're actually just trying to study it. We're trying to figure out what is God communicating to me, right? How can I apply that? And then I'm actually going out and I'm trying to do something that is in response to what I've understood and learned. And then I have to take that and I have to share it with other people. It might not be that I have the same calling as Ezra. You may not have the same calling as Ezra. Uh, you could think of Ezra as kind of like a pastor, right? Not everybody's called to be a pastor or a missionary, but everybody is called to do something in the community of faith that shares the fruit of the word. Everybody has some calling there. And all of us have to take what we live and what we've studied from the Bible and apply it to our calling, what God is telling us to do with each other. Let's, let's uh, break this down a little bit more. If you want to, I think this would be good. And if you don't want to, I think I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, just real quick. Uh, there are three, these three things. I want to give you some actual things you can do to help you in these three areas. Okay? Some real practical things in each one of these areas. The understanding, the life, and the community that we share together. Y'all ready? Y'all might want to have something to write it down. Uh, if you don't write it down, you might go back and listen to it later and, and write it down then. First of all, in regards to the understanding, if we're going to set our hearts to really getting an understanding clearly of what God is communicating in the Scripture, there's a few things we've got to do. Number one, we've got to actually read the Bible. Okay? <laughs> and I know that sounds so simplistic, but y'all, there are so many Bible reading plans out there. That this is beginning of the year, this is a perfect time to adopt a Bible reading plan. Perfect time. You're only nine days into the year, you've only missed nine days. And you'll probably miss some more in the future this year. So just get started today. Uh, I can, in fact, there's going to be a page on the website that I, I've uh, been working on. It's, it's partially done now, you can see it even now on the website. But on our Greater Hope website, all this stuff's actually going to be laid out there for you. Um, there's a Bible reading plan called the Community Bible Reading Plan, which I would recommend. Uh, it actually was made by some of my friends here in Polk County years ago, and it's been used by numerous churches. I spent many years doing this plan. 
You can either pick a three-year read through the Bible, which is two chapters a day, or you can pick a one-year, which is four chapters a day. That'll be linked on the website. Uh, one that I've used last year and this year is also called the Robert Murray McShane reading plan. And uh, Murray McShane was uh, the name of a Scottish pastor in the 1800s, and he came up with a way to read the whole New Testament twice and the Old Testament once every year. And it's four chapters a day, including weekends. So this is a little bit more demanding, but it's also going to be on the website. Uh, it's, it's a great one because it gives you four chapters and it divides them of two you can read with your family and two to read by yourself. And that, that helps me because it, give, you know, it gives me some inspiration to want to, to read with my kids and with my wife. Uh, you got to read the Bible, though. If you're going to understand something, you got to read it. Uh, in reading it, there's, some, there's plenty of helps out there to help you understand it. These will also be linked on the website, but there are study Bibles. I would encourage everybody to have at least one study Bible. In fact, if you don't have one and can't afford one, please come see me. And I'll buy you one. The church will buy you one, right? Y'all will buy y'all one. <laughs> uh, I'll say it that way. Uh, because you, you need to have a study Bible. Um, there are, here's some of my favorites. The Reformation Study Bible. It's my, probably my favorite of all. Uh, then there is the ESV Study Bible. Excellent. Very thick, though. There's the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible. Excellent as well. I use all three of them. Uh, the good thing about a study Bible is while you're reading your chapter a day, just at the very bottom, there's the notes to help you explain. Like almost every verse gives you just a thought or an explanation if you get lost. Very helpful. Uh, there's also a book called the New Bible Commentary that is a full commentary on all books of the Bible in one book. And I love that thing. It is so helpful. Um, and I'll buy you one of those. If you can't get one of those, it's called the New Bible Commentary. Um, podcasts, uh, you can find them. I, I'll link some on the website as well. There are some great podcasts out there to help you get your head around each book of the Bible and the various themes that come up in the Bible. You can listen to them as you're on the way. There are audio Bibles you can listen to. If you say, I'm not a book person, listen to it. You know, have, some, have somebody in a British accent read it to you. It'll sound more like God's breathing on you. Uh, when someone is, is speaking in a British accent, I find, you know, it just sounds more regal. Um, catechisms, you know, I, I love those things. I mean, they have helped me so much in the past. I, mean, I was first introduced to catechisms probably 17 years ago in my own life, and I've studied them since. I've memorized a few of them and uh, find them very helpful in helping me understand the big themes of the Bible so I don't get lost. And we try as a church to help our kids with that here. All right, Those are just a few things. You've got to have some practice, though. Commit to some kind of reading. Even if you say, man, I can only read one chapter a day. You're probably going to read the Bible in five years if you do it that way. That's fine. Start with something. And just, and just stick with it. Yeah, that's right. There's somebody reading the Bible to us right there. That's, that's just a demonstration. Thank you, Lori, for that demonstration. Very good. Uh, let's think about the practice real quick. Uh, Ezra not only set his heart on studying, but he also set his heart on doing. And I'll just give you one simple thing that I've tried to do through the years as I read the Bible. I try to ask this question every day. What is one thing I'm going to do today 
based on the fact that I, God told me to do it simply because he told me to do it in what I read today? What is one thing, based on what I read today, that God's telling me to do, that I, it's clearly there on the page, that I can just go do just because he told me to do it? I love doing that. I, I actually love that question and that practice. It, it's fun, to actually, when you start to think about it, because it gives you a new adventure. Sometimes it's a hard thing. Sometimes it's an easy thing. But just, just that practice of saying, you know, I'm actually going to walk out what I've understood, even if it's just in one way today, can help build a muscle in you that might go very soft if you don't do that. Make sense? Ask that question. What's one thing? Maybe pick a few friends in the church that you can ask that question to. Maybe a few of y'all will read the same Bible reading plan. Maybe several of you will. Text each other. What's the one thing you're going to do today? It's a great thing. Now, lastly, sharing the Bible in community. Ezra committed himself to teach. His job was to be a teacher, to be a pastor of the whole nation. I mean, he had this huge task in front of him. Not every one of us is going to have that task. Certainly not my job to teach the whole nation, thank the Lord, you know, <laughs> like his was. But every one of us have a task, what we as Christians call a calling, where God has says, here is how I want you uniquely to live out your faith in the community. Uh, one thing that's really clear by this is you really can't know the Bible unless you know it together with other people. You just can't. Um, you will not understand it if you just read it on your own and don't come together with the church and study it, read it, hear it preached and all that. And, and I don't think I'm making an overstatement there. I don't know anybody who's known the Lord through the Bible who hasn't also been a part of the life of the church. I know of zero people. You know, and I, I think that's on purpose because God loves his church. He died for his church. He did not die for individuals. He died for the church. You died for individuals, but individuals as a part of the church. You get what I'm saying? It's really important. And so here's a few practices on this. Number one, keep the Sabbath. It's one of the top ten things God told you to do. Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Uh, we try to help you with that by, since we've got the building, we have the opportunity to have a morning and a night service. Y'all, I can think of nothing else. They can help you keep the whole day to the Lord except to begin it and end it together, worshiping God, listening to his word. It's a simple commitment. I know it may sound daunting to you. You may not at first like it or want to do it. You may be addicted to watching NFL at night or whatever it is you do. Those addictions can be broken, uh, and you can find joy in something new. And I would encourage you, especially if you have kids too, because there's so much that we want to teach our kids on Sunday nights here at church. God's, God basically only gives us one holy day. To, I mean, he doesn't command us to keep Christmas. He doesn't command us to keep Easter. But he commands us to keep Sunday. Uh, and there are 52 of them every year that we get the opportunity to devote to God and his word. I don't see how you're going to grow if you don't do that, personally. Uh, another way is to get with a small group in church. Uh, we have community groups. We have growth group, um, yeah, glory groups. Uh, we also have uh, Bible studies, men's and women's groups that get together. Uh, we're going to try to do a better job this year of getting those back organized again and uh, get the website updated. There's a few groups that are listed on the website that are no longer, 
And so we just got to get that all back in order after COVID and everything. And I would encourage you to join one of those. It's a great place for you to share God's word with other people. Also, just simply this, work on building your friendships within the church. Like, work on it. Uh, They say to be a friend, you have to be a friend. Or to get a friend, you got to be a friend, right? (laughs) And I think that's so important, so true. You know, you got to be active in trying to build friendships because it's within friendships that this whole teaching in the people of God is going to become more lively in your life. I think if you have some good friends that you're building here at church, you're going you're gonna to want to be here more. Uh, and you're going to want to, you're going to be eager to read the Bible better if you know your friends around you are also reading the scripture. And so just think about it. Those are just three categories of practices. It's not just a matter of the heart, it's a matter of the life. Uh, we can say, hey, at Greater Hope, we believe the Bible is the word of God. It's inspired. It's inerrant. It's plenary inspired. Every word of it verbally. And we can use all these great theological words. But if at the end of the day, our practice is not, it's like me saying, I believe in exercise. And then not doing anything about it uh, unless our practice is behind it. And so what, what, what are the practice or two that you're going to adopt in 2022? Maybe I didn't even list the one you want to do. And that's okay. You think for yourself and, and adopt some practices that will work for you to engage with Scripture. Amen? Uh, let's pray together.